As we do, I want to just read a single verse from John's Gospel. This is the way that John, in his account, Scott read for us the conclusion of the night of, or the day of Jesus' sacrifice, this day we call Good Friday. But as John's record of those events begins in John chapter 13, he begins with this statement, this declaration. This would have been Thursday evening leading into the events of Good Friday. John says that now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Father, thank you that in your word, what we've just read is the way that you directed your servant John to begin the record of the, the final hours of Jesus here on earth, the hours of his passion, the hours that led to the cross, the hours that culminated in the ultimate sacrifice for sin being made, the ultimate price for our transgressions being paid, and that we are told that in that moment, Jesus, who loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the uttermost, to the very end. That love compelled him to the cross. It compelled him to suffer and bleed and die in our place. And Father, while we do on the horizon have the hope of Sunday of the resurrection, tonight we remember the passion of Jesus Christ, the passion that was surrounded and filled with love, the passion that was marked and defined by suffering, the passion of Jesus Christ that was necessary because I'm a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. And yet you were not content to leave us in that place. Father, thank you that on this night we can gather to worship. Thank you tonight that we can gather to remember. And thank you that it is appropriate, Father, for us to, to meet in this way, to quietly contemplate the sacrifice, the death, the price the need, and Father, also to, to maintain this undercurrent of joy that says, yet, yet there's Sunday. Fathers, we've sung your praise, now we turn to your word. For a little while, we're going to look at it together. And my prayer, Father, as we do, is that as always, but especially tonight, it would not be the voice of a preacher that anyone hears, but it would be the voice of your Spirit. Father, I pray as many of us have already maybe had a busy day, a, a hectic day, a frantic day, we're thinking already about tomorrow and Sunday and things ahead, that you in this moment, as only you can do, Father, that your, your Holy Spirit, Father, would fill our hearts, quiet and calm our hands and feet, still our thoughts. Father, not that we would drift off to sleep, but that we would engage you in a powerful and a personal way. As we think on and meditate on the cross. Fathers, we do that. We need your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, and we ask tonight that he would come and guide us in truth. We ask that he would come and guard us from error and confusion and misunderstanding. We ask him to, to work to deliver us from distraction and disruption. Father, that no weapon that the enemy has formed against us would have any opportunity to prosper here. So that in these precious few moments together, tonight above all nights, we might see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus clearly now as we turn to your word. May we see him truly tonight only as we turn to your word. And Father, when we leave in a little while, we want to do it rejoicing because as we just sang, we know and we've been reassured that because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul has been set free. Father, we, we thank you and we de dedicate this time to you in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus in which we pray all of God's people together said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, again, good evening. 
was thinking earlier, I don't know what the appropriate greeting is. I feel like for all of our other major gatherings and holidays as believers, we know what to say. We say Merry Christmas. We say He's risen. I don't know what you're supposed to say on Good Friday because there's just this very unusual blend of sorrow and joy, of of remembrance and anticipation. So I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to zoom right past it and say, grab your Bible. And and if if you don't have a Bible, I want you to turn to the card that you were given when you walked in tonight. And whether you're using the card or using a Bible in your hands, I want you to turn in it to Hebrews chapter 10. Tonight, excuse me, as always on Good Friday, there are many places in the scripture that we could go to think about and reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We've already had the actual account of it read to us. So tonight I want you to meet me in Hebrews chapter 10, where for just a little while, we're going to look at at what one particular New Testament author had to say about the cross of Jesus Christ, about what it is we've gathered to remember here tonight. So I want you to meet me in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read these handful of verses in just a moment. But before we do, just so we understand the context, because Hebrews, just in its own right, is a heavy book. It's a complex book. There's all sorts of things going on, and we're jumping in two-thirds of the way through it. It might help to know, or at least tonight, if you already knew, to be reminded that in the Old Testament, in Old Testament times, that is, the Israelites, the chosen people of God, they didn't have pastors as their spiritual leaders. As we understand, we have pastors and elders who shepherd the flocks of God's people today. Instead, in Old Testament times, what God's people, the Israelites, had were priests. And priests, uh, to put it quite simply, their primary task, their main assignment, a priest's job was to go to God on behalf of the people to represent God before the people. And the specific, the primary way in which priests did that, they went before and represented the people before the Lord, was by presenting sacrifices for their sins. And what the Bible makes clear, but we would know it anyway, even if it didn't, is that because the people of God then as now never stopped sinning, a priest's work in Old Testament times was never, ever truly done. In the temple, around the clock, all week long, night and day, priests would offer sacrifice after sacrifice. They would slay bulls and goats and sheep and birds, depending on the nature of each worshiper's sin. And in fact, uh, uh, an interesting little tidbit of Old Testament history is is as if, in fact, to, to underscore that relentless, perpetual nature of a priest's work, the fact that their work was never done, that they were always to be offering sacrifices. One of the interesting little features about the inner courts of the temple is not anywhere in the Old Testament temple was there a chair. And that was as if to remind the priest, hey, there's no sitting down on this job. Making sacrifice for sin is is a work that's never, ever in the Old Testament truly done. But then as we have met to remember here tonight, along comes Jesus Christ. And in the first nine or nine and a half chapters of the book of Hebrews, one of the primary things the author of Hebrews does is, is he proves, he very meticulously and very carefully proves that Jesus Christ, in coming to earth, fulfilled the role of a priest better than anyone before him ever had or ever could. That Jesus really was the perfect priest, and that as such, the author of Hebrews was making the argument that therefore Jesus Christ, this priest, was more qualified than anyone who'd ever come before him to offer up sacrifice for people's sins. 
And here in Hebrews chapter 10, where we're going to pick up the reading tonight, I'm going to begin reading right now in verse 19. I'm going to go down through verse 25. And in these verses, what the author of Hebrews tells us is something truly incredible about Jesus Christ and and about the sacrifice that he made. So beginning again in verse 19, reading through Hebrews 10 verse 25, this is what the scripture says. The author says, Therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there's a lot going on there. But in the time we have together tonight, and for the purpose for which we've gathered, there are simply tonight just two things I want to draw your attention to in those verses. Two specific things that I believe we ought to see and to think about and remember and to contemplate as we've gathered tonight on Good Friday. And the first one is this, and it is primary. The first thing I want you to take note of in these verses is the truly inexpressible sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. The truly, excuse me, inexpressible sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. Because as I said a moment ago, in the Old Testament, in that era, a priest's main job was to make sacrifice for sin. And the way specifically, and if you've read the Old Testament or heard it, you know this already, but, but the way a priest specifically did that was animals would be brought. If someone sinned, they'd bring a particular, based on the nature of their sin, a particular animal to the temple. And the priest's job was to slay that animal, to kill it. And then take its blood to the altar to a, in a particular way by a particular design that God had, had given and offer up that blood as a sacrifice, as a payment, as a covering for sin. Because the Old Testament law said... It says repeatedly in the book of Leviticus that without the shedding of blood, this is just God's design. We can like it, we can not like it, we can dispute it, we can think it's weird, but we didn't get to make the rules he did. He said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But in these verses, specifically this passage that I just read for you, and hopefully you still have open in front of you, did you catch what it was the author of Hebrews said made Jesus Christ a truly great priest? That's how he's described in verse 1. Since we have a great priest over the house of God. Did you catch in the two verses before that what it specifically was that the author says made Jesus Christ this truly great, unparalleled, incomparable priest? It was this, that the sacrifice he made Jesus as a priest made a sacrifice, but in Jesus' case, what made him the best is that the sacrifice he offered, the flesh which was torn and the blood which was shed was not the flesh and blood of an animal, it was whose? It was his. It was his own flesh. It was his 
own blood. In fact, that is what I'm saying to you tonight at the cross that we have gathered to remember at this service, on this night, in this place. Here's what I'm saying. On that night, the night of Jesus' sacrifice, the priest became the sacrifice. The priest didn't just offer the sacrifice. The priest became This is what it says in verses 19 and 20. Look again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the the holy place by the blood of who? What's your Bible say? Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. The flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying to you tonight, what this passage, the scriptures are telling us, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins. And as such, he became the priest who paid it all. He became, at the cross, the priest who paid it all. Listen to me. The penalty for every sin that every person has ever committed was covered there. We just sang it. Jesus paid it all. Not some, not most, but all at the cross. And that's why... I describe it, I present it to you tonight as an inexpressible sacrifice. There's no way to truly find words that help us wrap our minds and our hearts around what Jesus did, the sacrifice that he made, and how far he went. The first thing we need to see in this passage is the inexpressible sacrifice Jesus Christ made. And because that is the sacrifice he made, that as the great priest, he offered his own flesh and he offered his own blood as a sacrifice and covering for all of our sins, that leads to the second thing I want you to see in the passage tonight. That because of the inexpressible sacrifice Jesus Christ made, there are some astonishing privileges that you and I have been given. There are some astonishing privileges that you and I have been given Back when I was in high school, a long time ago, galaxy far, far away, uh, a group, myself, my brother, several other people we grew up around here, attended a youth conference in Washington, D.C. It was part of a, a ministry thing that we were involved in. And, and at that particular youth conference that we attended the summer, I think it was 1988, at that particular conference one morning, President Ronald Reagan came and spoke. Now, we didn't know he was going to be there till the night before. Nancy Reagan had come and speak, spoken at the conference, and she said, I've got a little surprise for you. Tomorrow, the president's going to be here. And we got excited. Not every day you get to see the president up close and personal. And so when we went back to the hotel that night, our group decided we're getting there early. We want to be as close as possible because chances like this don't come along often. And so we did. The next morning, our group got up early. We were at the door waiting when they opened. We went through all the security that they had set up, and then we raced into the auditorium. And scored third row seats. Right down in front, there were 10,000 students. We were in the third row. And I, there were were about eight seats. There were 13 of us jammed into eight seats. And I was the guy on the end just holding the whole group on (laughs) as we waited for the president to come. And it took a while, as those sort of things normally do. Well, as I sat on the end of that row and I waited and waited for the program to begin and the president to arrive, I noticed, of course, there were secret service everywhere. And I noticed that just in front of us at the corner of the stage where the curtain goes back and the steps go up, there was a secret service agent standing there and he was looking at me. And he kept looking at me. And, and being an awkward, shy teenager, naturally, every time he looked at me, I looked the other direction. I thought, I don't want the secret service looking at me. And this went on for several minutes, back and forth. Yes, he's still looking. And, and then I realized after about five minutes of this back and forth, 
I saw the corner of my eye, he began walking toward me. Now I'm really scared. So I did what awkward teenagers do. I turned my whole body away from him as if to say, man, don't come over to me. I don't know what you want, but I'm not interested. And as soon as I did that, I saw as I was turning away that he had been coming straight toward me. It was about 30 feet. He then immediately veered left and went to the girl sitting on the end of the row right behind me. He leaned over, whispered in her ear, and the two of them walked away backstage. Guess what? She got to meet the president. (laughs) She got to shake his hand. She got to get his autograph. She had her photo taken with him as the, uh, the official press distribution photograph of that particular day's event. And she came back and bragged up and down about how she got to meet the president. And I realized when she did that what I had done is I had missed a once, truly a once in a lifetime opportunity. That could, I thought it could have been me. Now, the only consolation I had was there were 10,000 other students who didn't get to do it either, but I was this close, this close to shaking the hand of the one we consider the most powerful man in the world. And I missed it. I lost my chance at access. And I tell you that story by way of contrast because the access, because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross, the access that you and I can have to God through the death of Jesus Christ, which we remember tonight, is not like that at all. It is not limited. It is not restricted. It's not only for the lucky few who happen uh, to have that chance to slip behind. No, what I'm saying to you tonight is on the authority of God's word, the astonishing privileges that God gives to us because of the death of Jesus Christ are for everyone. Say everyone. They are for everyone who believes. That is to say, That because it was Jesus who died for our sins, because the priest became the sacrifice and paid it all, the author of Hebrews tells us three things. I'm going to give you these three things just for your consideration tonight. Number one, because the priest paid it all and that priest was Jesus Christ, tonight you and I, every single one of us, can draw near. Tonight every single one of us can draw near. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about this question. Do you realize... That when Jesus Christ died, when he died on the cross there in our place, that he washed away all of your sin. Do you know that? We say it all the time, but do you know that? Not just the sin you committed before you met him. Not just the sins you've committed so far, but the sins you haven't even thought of committing yet. All of your sin was covered at the cross. Even that one, that two, that handful of sins that nobody else knows about, because if they did, you're like, well, those sins are different. I know that Jesus covers most of my sins, but there's just some stuff that I'm pretty sure is unforgivable. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for them all. Not only that, the Bible also tells us, as we're about to see, he didn't just die for the sins themselves, but in doing so, he washed away the guilt that comes with them. The stain on your heart, the burn in your conscience, the regret in your soul that says, why did I do such a thing? The guilt as well. And can I tell you something? You know what that means tonight, just in very practical terms? God is not angry at you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he's not angry at you. He's not disgusted with you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not suspicious of you. You're not on spiritual probation. None of it. He covered it all. 
And that's why the author of Hebrews says in verse 22 that therefore, since we have this great priest over the house of God, let us, say it with me, draw near. Draw near with a sincere heart in full, not general, full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. There it is, that guilt thing. And our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, here's the bottom line. Thanks to what Jesus did at the cross, there is nothing as a believer between God and you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And because that's so, I want you to do something. And this is just something just for you. I want you to take, even if you're not reading from it, that card I hope you were given when you walked in tonight. So look at this card. On one side, of course, is the order of service. On the other are the scriptures that I read a moment ago that we're talking from. But on the bottom third of that card, you'll see that there are three incomplete sentences. And, and as I give you the three, these three uh, astonishing privileges, I'm going to pause at the end of each one and allow you just to think and respond, not stand and not hold somebody's hand and not pray out loud, but just complete the sentence. Okay, And if you didn't get one, here's what it is, just so you can see it. Jeff, let's throw this up on the, on the screen if we could. Lord Jesus, I rejoice tonight that you have totally washed away. I want you to think about your life, about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to just, I'm just give you 30 seconds just of quiet. And if that's not enough, you can finish when you go home. But think for a moment what it is. Maybe it's just all my sin. Maybe it's that one big sin. Maybe it's my guilt, my regret, my shame. Just take the next 30 seconds, and in one way or another, I encourage you to write it down. Just make it your prayer of gratitude tonight. Lord Jesus, I rejoice that you have totally washed away. I want you to take just 30 seconds and think about an answer. Finish that, that sentence. So because of what Jesus did at the cross, because of the inexpressible sacrifice he became, the first thing it says here tonight is that we can, and we can always draw near with a sincere heart and a clean conscience. Secondly, the next verse tells us in verse 23 that another astonishing privilege we have because Jesus Christ himself, the priest, became the sacrifice is not only, number one, can we draw near, secondly, the Bible says we can also hold fast. You and I, as believers, can hold fast. And really, this next verse, this next statement the author makes, really is, is all around, it's, it's defined by the theme of hope. You know, if you think about hope, I think you'd probably agree with me, though I won't ask for a show of hands, that, that oftentimes in life, hope is a slippery thing to try to hold on to. I mean, it's tough to be hopeful when life is calm because there's always something that's going to rattle or shake you, but it is particularly difficult in life to maintain hope when the, lo the storms of life begin to blow, when things become rough, when the trials become real, and it's no longer theory, it's the real thing right there in front of you. It's physical, it's relational, it's financial, it's something. 
Hope can be a tricky thing to hold on to. And I don't know if you've noticed, but when you are in a season like that, in this life when hope is a difficult thing to hold on to, people can tell you all day long, just hang in there, right? Just hold on a little bit longer. You're going to get through it. The sun will come out tomorrow, right? They tell you these things. And you're like, yeah, right. Sometimes the fact is it just can't be done. We are unable in our own strength and ability to hold on to hope. Well, can I give you some good news tonight? Who's up for good news? Here's the good news. The good news, again, on the authority of God's word is that because of what Jesus did at the cross, holding, listen listen to me, holding on to hope, guess what? It's not your job. It's not your job. You know whose job it is? It's his. Holding on to maintaining, nurturing hope in your life is not up to you to hang in there and hold on. It is his. Let me prove it, verse 23. He says, we're given this instruction. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. One translation said, let us unswervingly hold on to the confession of our hope. But it doesn't say we're to do it in our own strength. No, we are able to do it. We are called to do it for because he, that's Jesus who promised, is faithful. You're not. I'm not. Jesus is. Let us hold fast because he who promised is faithful. And I don't know if you've read your Bible recently, but in my Bible, he's made us some pretty amazing promises. I will never, ever leave you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And and in the meantime, until I do, guess what? And Jesus said this on the final night of his life, a passage we're not going to look at, but he said, in the meantime, I'm going to send you a helper. He's called the Holy Spirit. And he will convict you and teach you and guide you and lead you and comfort you and instruct you and help you day and night. Not because you're so faithful, but because Jesus was saying, I am. He who promises faithful. And because that's so, and because the priest became the sacrifice, you and I, it's no longer up to us to hold on, it's up to him. Number one, we can draw near. Secondly, we can hold fast. And, and with that in mind, because it's not about our faithfulness, it's about his, I want you to look at that card again for just another half a minute. Because I'm just going to guess that in the room tonight, there are a handful of us or more who are struggling to hold on to hope. And maybe it's little, and maybe it's big, and maybe it's momentary, and you're like, and maybe it's like been going on for years. But there's some stuff where you're like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm having a tough time with hope in this one. Let me ask you something. Where do you need him to strengthen your hope tonight? Our, our first little sentence here, our first sentence prayer was a prayer of gratitude and reverence and worship. This is one of dependence. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds just to get it out. Sometimes just naming it is the first step toward Jesus Christ beginning to change your heart and come to your rescue. Lord Jesus, here it is. We'll put it on the screen. It already is for those who don't have it. Tonight I need you to strengthen my hope. Where, why, how, in what way? Just take the next 30 seconds. Think about, settle on, write down, your answer or your completion to that that statement.
It's because Jesus is the priest who paid it all. Number one, we can draw near. Number two, we can hold fast. Third and finally tonight, this is the last one that we're given here. Certainly not the only remaining privilege, but the only one found here is this. That tonight you and I, and this is very forward-looking, we can build up. We can, in fact, we are called to build up. You know, when the New Testament says, and we say it a lot around here, that as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're part of the body of Christ. You've heard us say that before, right? We're part of the body of Christ. I want you to understand, and we need to remember, that when the Bible says that we are members of the body of Christ, that doesn't simply mean we're all on the same team. We all wear the same jersey. We all, we're all in the same club. That is true, of course. We're all on the same team. But it's much, 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 much more than just that. What it means to belong to the body of Christ, as the, the whole council of the New Testament tells us, it means that we are connected to one another, that we are accountable to one another, and that, in fact, we have meaningful obligations. Did you know that toward each other? Whether this is your particular church home or not, whatever believers you hang around with, you have obligations toward them. The Bible says so in the context of the body of Christ. In fact, it means because you and I, if you're a believer tonight, you belong to the body of Christ. Because that's so, what that means, according once again to the authority of God's word and through the sacrifice of Christ, it means that you and I actually are, look at verse 24, supposed to consider. It means think hard about how to spur each other on. The literal word is provoke each other to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as some do, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what the author of Hebrews is saying? He's saying because of Jesus Christ, because of who he is and not just what he's rescued us from, but what he has delivered us into, the family of God. In very, very blunt practical terms, it means that, that come Sunday morning, we are supposed to do more than simply show up and hope we get something out of it. Now, I hope you get something out of it. Every week I pray that you will and that I will too, but it's more than that. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that before showing up, before pulling in Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Friday night, whenever it is, that I'm actually supposed to be thinking ahead about what I can do to be a blessing to you, about what I can do to serve you, to encourage you, to, to love you. It may be praying with you. It may be a word of encouragement. It may be holding your baby so that for once you can sit through church. I don't know what it is, but it's something. He says, consider, think hard about what you can do to, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Why? Because I forget. Because I'm lazy. Because we get tired. Because life is war. We need to do these things for one another. And, and, and as is what I really think the, the author of Hebrews is telling us here, he said, what does this have to do with Good Friday? Here's what it has to do with Good Friday. I think what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that sort of like I think you'd agree with me when I say Jesus went out of his way for us at the cross, amen? <laughs> He's saying likewise, if you really want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, be prepared, be intentional about going out of your way for one another. Don't just come and sit and wait for somebody to come seek you out. Go seek them. Be a blessing. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus who was intentional and took the initiative to rescue and save and serve us, he put his love into action. He loved us to the uttermost by going to the cross. And so one final time, I want you to look at your card, and we're going to pull it all together. And this, and this is very specific. 
And this may not be your church home, but I hope that somewhere so this Sunday you're going to be with believers to celebrate the resurrection. And here's just a prayer. Here's a plea. Here's something intentional, forward-looking, a prayer of readiness. Lord, I look forward to being with your people this Sunday, wherever that's going to be. Why? Why? Because I can be a blessing to somebody. Because I get to sit in a room and listen to God's people sing your praise. Why? Once more, 30 seconds. Why can you look forward? Just, he says, consider. He says, because Jesus died, this is what we're to do. Let's do it right now so we don't forget. 30 seconds to fill out that last line on your card. In just a moment, we are going to stand again to sing. And, uh, and when we do that, just kind of want you to know where we're going from here as we finish our time together here tonight in this service. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite everybody to stand, and Missy's going to come up to lead us in another song. When she does, guys, those of you who are serving communion, as soon as we stand, I want you to go back to the back and grab the trays with the bread and the cup, and, and as soon as you guys are ready, while we are singing and we're standing and you need to be aware of this, I want you to come forward and begin to serve us. So Missy's going to play, we're going to stand and sing, I want the guys to distribute the elements. And what you need to know about communion here at Maranatha is, as we always say, it's open. That means this doesn't have to be your church, you just have to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you're welcome to participate in the taking of the bread and the taking of the cup. All we'd ask is that you hold on to them. Now, you're going to get them while you're standing. That's a little different, a little awkward. You can set it down. But at the conclusion of the song, after everybody's been served and we finish singing, I'm going to come back up and just lead us in a time of, of remembrance. So again, we're going to stand. The guys are going to go. They're going to serve you. And at the end of the song, we'll sit down and take communion together. That's where we're going but before we do, there's a big idea, and if you're waiting for the big idea tonight, here it is, how we're bringing it all together. What the scriptures are saying to us this Good Friday evening, among I'm sure many other things and many other places our hearts and our thoughts could go, the big idea, the bottom line, this Good Friday night is this, that Jesus Christ's sacrifice, what he did for us at the cross, shattered every barrier between us and the Lord. Jesus' sacrifice at the cross, when he became the priest, the sacrifice, that shattered every barrier standing between us and the Lord. He paid the price. He paved the way. And once we have put our faith in him, we can draw near, we can hold fast, we can build up. With that said, I'm going to invite you to stand right now.